Hello, Brian's and possibly not Brian's. This is all the Brian's where Brian interviews Brian's, and this episode is brought to you by the inventor Brian A. Russell's patented energy return wheels for bikes and cars and even shoes to keep you airborne. Energyreturnwheel.com. Don't try to reinvent the wheel unless you're a Brian. And this episode with Brian I met up with in Barcelona, where he documents all the interesting street art among the city's unique architecture and crazy political issues, which he actually had some great detail about, so let's just jump right into it. My name is uh, Brian Reedy, R-E-E-D-Y. Yep. There are, there's a few of me around, I think, but uh, not with my middle name. So okay. That's how, that's how I, I distinguish myself. My what's your, what's, yeah, what's middle your middle name? My name is uh, Sudomo. What is it? Sudomo. It's a Japanese name. Oh, so uh, okay. T-S-U-T-O-M-U. I'm an English teacher. And then that's uh, basically what I do to pay the rent and the food yeah, and everything. Yeah. So, um, other than that, outside of class, uh, yeah, I try to take those pictures. And that's what we're probably going to be focusing on this interview about. And, and the name of it is uh, Barcelona Street Scraps, yeah. right? And uh, like I saw like the little kind of like subline on that was I catch them before they're painted over or scraped away. And is that, would you say, kind of the mission of the site for its, you know, capturing street art, like kind of the philosophy of the site pretty much summed up right there? Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part for me, because uh, if I hear about something or I see something, you know, one of the artists has posted that they put something up during the night, you have to kind of rush down, because it, be, it could be painted over, it could be taken away. There's some things that last a couple of years, Yeah. but there's other things that go away really quickly. Like there's a... There's an Italian artist who's done some like uh, sort of wheat pasting paste-ups of like famous people like Messi or or other like uh, political figures, and he does them sort of in the center of Barcelona. Yeah. And he's getting famous, so people either want to paint over it or they want to take it for themselves. Was this the? I think I saw on your site. Was this the TV boy? TV boy, yeah. Okay, he's, cool. He's, he's getting pretty well known. So. Is he like a primarily Barcelona-based artist? Uh, he's Italian. I don't know. I think he does stuff in Italy also. Okay. Um, but so, okay, so for all the brines out there then, that yeah. are new to street art and don't really know the classification, at least for your website, do you have a definition in mind of what you well, consider street art versus like graffiti? Stuff I normally like would mm-hmm. be, yeah, it's, uh, it's more like portraits and murals. Yeah. Uh, some of it is, uh, some of it's permitted and sanctioned. I try not to, like if you see like some of the shutters that are painted or, or of a shop, or a store mm-hmm. uh, hired someone to paint the outside of it. That's not so interesting to me. Yeah. I prefer the ones that are sort of done without permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and that seems like, yeah, it, it's kind of the... That seems to be the in your line of, I, I catch them before they're painted or scraped yeah. away. It's like, that does serve a good purpose because it's all ephemeral or temporary. Yeah. And, and that's part of the process if something disappears or gets painted over or yeah. I wouldn't call it vandalized, but it gets modified. Yeah. So I don't get upset about it. Do you have a, your own opinion on what's the line between like just the term graffiti and then street art? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose like things like uh, tags mm-hmm. that people do would be more, I, I suppose you could call that more graffiti. Uh, Where it's just almost just like writing your name on something. Yeah, like you're, like like you're like, a kid in the classroom and you're you're scratching yeah, your name into like something. Maybe like a dog peeing on something. Or something. Yeah, it's quite like, artistic. It's more artistic than peeing on something. But and uh, so, who are the more uh, well-known 
artists that are in Barcelona in the street art scene here, not necessarily from Barcelona, but like just in this. Well, I would say recently the one who's sort of high profile is that that TV boy okay. person. There's one called uh, Axe Colors. Okay. And he's been doing a lot of uh, uh, portraits of people from like Game of Thrones, uh, Walking Dead. So mm-hmm. if you go around my neighborhood, you can see a lot of those. And uh, which neighborhood? In Gracia. Okay. It's just over here. Okay. It's sort of Gracia is a little bit like the. I would say it's a little bit sort of West Villagey in a certain okay. way. <laughs> yeah. East Village, West good Village. to translate. <laughs> so. so do you have a personal favorite artist then uh, from what you've seen? Mm, there is a French artist, a stencil artist, who used to do a lot of stuff a couple of years ago called, uh, his street art name is C215. Mm-hmm. So I really liked a lot of his stuff. He hasn't been around for a couple of years. Uh, there's another one, an Italian artist called Alice Pasquini. Who you can find uh, some of her stuff if you go on I think on Mulberry Street in Little Italy. There's mm-hmm. a doorway with one of her things. Oh, okay. And uh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it. And other than that, I, think, I would say TV Boy. I kind of like his, his stuff because it yeah. does have a political sort of cheeky political pop art yeah. kind of uh, vibe to it. You know, so, great, great. but is uh, is there anything that you would say that makes the just the street art scene here unique? Is it like, uh, like, is there some sort of character of the art here? Could you say, I'm guessing that there's a lot of the, maybe the politics of Catalonia is going to be reflected in a lot of the art. (coughs) To some extent, yeah. Um, But I think a lot of the, there is, there is now with, you know, the uh, sort of the independence movement and things like that, you'll find some sort of, most of it would be pro-independence type of art. But I find a lot of that is mostly outside of Barcelona. Because oh, really? The, sort of the stronger, I would say the stronger groups are the more, uh, the groups that are a little more active, activism-wise. Are, you'd find them in some, some of the uh, towns and cities in the interior of, uh, of Catalonia rather Catalonia. than Barcelona. Within Barcelona, there's, there's people that are pro-independence, but the groups that go out and would make a big mural, uh, you'll find most of those outside. Yeah, and so maybe for like just a quick primer on the brands yeah. out there that don't know about the, you know, the politics of this. Mm-hmm. There was like a vote that was held in the fall of uh, like a referendum for yeah. basically the Catalonians basically right to vote to succeed. Or well, to there have been a few votes over there. There was one in 2014, in like November of 2014, that was sort of a, uh, I don't know what they called it, but like a sort of symbolic vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but the latest one is probably the one that became notorious oh, yeah. because of just the uh, the, the police violence and that, the, that came the, about the repression and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, that was the first of October. That was sort of the the big referendum uh, they, that they called, and uh, it was uh, they voted on it. I think in the summer, and uh, because they had an election in 2015 and so the pro-independence parties won their uh, their oops, won their uh, majority in the parliament so they started uh, sort of this process of trying to get the right to decide to decide the future disconnection etc uh, and so it's been a little bit back and forth for a couple of years and then finally uh, they said, okay, well, let's vote and set a date for the referendum. So I think in the summer they set the date for October. And uh, as 
nobody really knew it was going to happen up until then because the central government obviously is not in favor of this. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the president, uh, Rajoy, is, mm-hmm. he's not really known as a take action kind of guy. So he's sort of a wait and see type of person, which is what he's been doing over the last couple of years. And uh, so nobody really knew what was going to happen. They sent a lot of police here. Yeah. I think they sent like six or 7,000 because there's all sorts of police and because the thing with Spain, the way it's the way it's uh, uh, structured is it's it's divided into 17 autonomous communities, which mm-hmm. are sort of like states with varying degrees of autonomy. So, for example, in uh, in Catalonia and I think in País Vasco, there's a, there's like an autonomous police. So it would be like maybe like the state police. Yeah. Uh, and then there's local police. Because in Spain, there's national police, which we don't have in the United States. And then there's these other ones called Guardia Civil, which are sort of semi-military police or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't, up until the last couple of years, you very rarely saw them. The only time you'd see national police or Guardia Civil in the past is at the airport. They're the ones who stamp your passport and the ones you'd see at the, uh, the security controls, the, the sort of green uniforms. And so, before this this referendum, they started uh, bringing more of these type of police in, and the Guardia Civil started going into different offices of the uh, the autonomous government, looking for materials, etc. So tension was sort of building up until then, and uh, the vote was supposed to be held on the first of October. So, so here they use schools usually as polling places, schools mm-hmm. and maybe like any type of public buildings. So the, the central government said, well, uh, we're going to close these places, the vote is prohibited, etc., etc." And uh, so what they did was the day before, or the night before, the votes are always, election day is always on Sunday here. So uh, I think Saturday night, <clears throat> a lot of families went into the schools and sort of occupied them and kept them open. And then uh, Sunday morning, people sort of came to vote, and nobody was really sure what was going to happen. And uh, the police went to different schools to try to take the, the materials. And people sort of resisted and did sit-ins, and that's when everything kind of broke loose. Okay, so uh, it was... It was only, I mean, really, it was probably out of thousands of polling places. It was only a couple, maybe like a hundred that really had that kind of tension. That had then so, some of the, the the resistance and then the violence yeah. uh, because of the resistance so. because that the election itself was deemed illegal. Because yeah. I, I went with some friends in my neighborhood. I went and waited with them uh, to vote, and you had to wait for about four or five hours because the uh, everything's on the computer. Mm-hmm. But uh, the sort of cyber unit of like, I don't know which police force it was 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 doing. Uh, uh, I think they were DDoS attacks on the on the uh, voting system that they had set up. Oh wow, that's super interesting. So they, I think what they did, I don't know, but I think what they did is, I think they put some of it on a blockchain type of system, which is what I, I was. I, that's another one of my hobbies. Too, oh no, like no, cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Keep, yeah. I think what they did is they put some of it on a blockchain or decentralized type of system because after a while. Because normally you have to go to your polling place and vote. 
Yeah. But then at a certain point, they said, well, we've got everything decentralized, so if your polling place is closed, you can go to any place and we'll look you up on the system. Wow, okay. I don't know what they did. I don't know how they did it. If I did, I probably wouldn't say because I don't want to get in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but somehow they pulled it off. Of course, it's, it was an Don't worry, there's only Brian's listening to this. Of course, it was an illegal vote. I mean, <laughs> it's not officially recognized by the government or anything like this. And, and because it was not officially sanctioned, the results are kind of skewed also because I think it was 90% in favor and 10% not in favor, which means that most of the people who came out to vote were in favor. Yeah. So it's it's in that sense it's it's the result would have to you'd have to have another vote to get the real result. Yeah. So it sounds like just based on like how things were left after that everything is everything's just still unresolved. Well yeah, yeah well what happened then is that they uh, they sort of uh, the central government stepped in and said okay we're going to dissolve the parliament we're going to uh, take the positions away from all of the sort of central government people. Uh, you're no longer president, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to call elections. And uh, so it's, it's, it's this article in the Constitution where the central government can step in. So it would be like if Trump decided to take direct rule of New York or something like this. Yeah. Um, and so they had elections in December, mm-hmm. and the pro-independence parties won a, a majority again. <laughs> But uh, there are several political leaders that are in prison now. And the ex-president of Catalonia is in Berlin. He ran off to Berlin. There's a couple of ex-ministers. There's one that's in exile in Scotland. There's two that are in Switzerland. So uh, it's going to be very interesting because they're all sort of being prosecuted for rebellion and sedition. But uh, the people that are outside of Spain, in order for extradition, it has to be an offense that is uh, that can also be found in the penal code of the country where they are. So it's it's a little bit complicated okay. now. So, at this point, then, do you think things are going to? Which, if you had to predict, are things going to? Is this going to be? Is there going to be some sort of de-escalation or escalation well, of confrontation? Tomorrow, there's the the parliament is supposed to vote. There's a uh, there's a new candidate for the presidency that's been proposed <clears throat> and he spoke yesterday and, and said well I'm going to continue working for an independent republic of Catalonia oh that because might have been what, the, what was on the there was a TV on at the yeah and the people speaking in the parliament because there was a debate yesterday so he didn't make it through the first round of voting but there's a second round of voting tomorrow where he only needs a simple majority which he'll most almost certainly get if the other if there's a party that doesn't vote no yeah. So, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to de-escalate anytime soon. Yeah. It's, it's sort of. A, well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing this, giving us this primer. because yeah. it's like I think it's good to know for street art in yeah. terms of like this is the backdrop of what's going on in. And if people are interested, right I would you know I would say because I'm not I'm not quite neutral. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> I mean, uh, I think people. I think the best way to look for, the best thing to look for, is to read uh, international press. If you read the press within Spain or within Catalonia, it's 
yeah, it's a bit skewed. It's like, uh, I'm sure, yeah, like I'm sure, yeah, you're, you have your views. I'm sure there's pro-constitutionalists or... Yeah, and there's good arguments on either side, so, you know. And would you say, though, most of the street artists that do have, uh, that do bring politics into their art, would they be more on the side of separation or...? The ones here, yeah, I mean, because a lot of the street artists aren't even really from here. They're from Italy, yeah. from France, from, from these places, but... But they certainly will tap into yeah. what's going on in a community. You don't see a lot of pro-Spanish graffiti. Here, yeah, that's so. what I assume. You know, just the nature of street art and kind of its roots in general. And it generally tends, you know, of course, I think the politics of most street artists tends to be a little more along the radical lines. Uh, yeah. Is there anything about the architecture? Because, you know, Barcelona is so, so much known for its architecture as yeah. well. Like, is there anything about... It? This is maybe the architecture of Barcelona that makes the street art unique, just in terms of like the actual canvases itself that Possibly, you've been aware of. Possibly, I think maybe just having the reputation as a design city yeah. uh, might attract a lot of uh, a lot of artists, or just the simple fact that like it might make something you see more pleasing against when you're viewing it amongst just the the architecture in the city in general. Yeah, I mean it's it's another sort of art that you can see around you know the uh, i'm not a, i'm not too well versed on architecture but like yeah i suppose you could say that like you know with with uh radical designers like uh gaudi or uh, if you go to see the uh the palau de la musica that's the one like uh i think if you see any of those like samsung phone commercials where they use the camera you can see like that sort of glass ceiling that's uh, from the inside of that that palace. interesting uh, but yeah, I think that probably had some type of influence on me. And so you mentioned that it's, you know, it's harder and harder now to see the unsanctioned art, so it's going to be hard to direct somebody where to go to find that in Barcelona, but like as far as like sanctioned art goes, is there any sort of like uh, areas you can find and to oh, go? Oh, sure, yeah, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a sort of initiative that they started, I think the city's involved at some point, but uh, and I think Montana Paints, which is one of the spray paint companies, oh, is involved. It's called uh, Moore's Ura, so it's M-U-R-S space L-L-I-U-R-E-S. So basically, it's, it's Catalan for free walls. Free walls, okay. And there's about three or four sites around the city where uh, if you're a street art painter or you want to play around with it, I think you can reserve time to go and paint. Oh, cool. So, and a lot of the work there is really nice because you don't have to worry about the police coming, coming and busting you up. Yeah, So you can yeah. take your time on it. Like, and how much, how long do the pieces stay up for, do you know? I think it depends on how active, I, think, I imagine probably in the summertime it lasts, the turnover is a little bit faster because people want to come out and paint. But the, yeah. the weather's been kind of crappy so far this year, so uh, uh, you might be able to find stuff that sticks around in a while. So if someone's in, you know, if there's a Brian in Barcelona now mm -hmm. who's coming in and wants to see some street art, at least they know they can see the sanctioned art in yeah. this and free nice walls stuff. neighborhood. Uh, there's another, there's another thing on, um, on uh, Avenue Parallel, which is just sort of in the center of Barcelona. There's a place called the Park of the Three Chimneys. Mm. It's near the, it's near the Apollo uh, Hotel and, and Disco. And there's some graffiti or some graffiti street art there. And then across the street, there's something that's called the Gallery Arnau. So it's just a wall that was an old theater, and it's it's been sort of designated as an outdoor gallery. And it changes every now and then. There's a nice mural up, uh, 
And it's, it's just on the edge of the Raval neighborhood, which is sort of the, the dirty, gritty neighborhood if you want to go through and see like, uh, you know, prostitutes yeah. and drugs and stuff like that. So, so when, you're, you know, when you're walking around, you're seeing these nightclubs or mm -hmm. whatever, you just, I guess I'm giving a bad segue to uh, what's your process for capturing uh, street art? Uh, just going out and walking around. The nice thing now is I don't have to carry a camera because it's on my phone. Yeah, the phones have nice so, enough cameras now. Sometimes just walking home, I'll, I'll see something because uh, uh, you become trained after a while to spot things. Because I always try to... Cause yeah, once for you know so many a, years, yeah. Once you know a city so well, you start looking for the little things. Like uh, yeah. uh, you might notice that someone changed a plant on their balcony or yeah. something like that. And so you start noticing the little things like... Yeah, so you're basically, you're just walking around, you're going to just inevitably capture stuff, you know where to go. You There's places you know I know I'm more you, likely to find things, yeah. Yeah, you have your beat, you know. Um, what's like been like the hardest, you know, piece or art to capture in terms of like just dimensions or location, if you come across something um, that's happening? Um, maybe, uh, not so much dimensions and things like that, but maybe just like conditions, like if something's way up, yeah, I don't like the angle of it, or uh, uh, so. Like, what's the hardest one that you, or like, what's the most, I guess, work that you've done in capturing something? <laughs> um, maybe if there's something that's in an empty lot that's yeah. fenced off, and yeah. I have to sort of climb through a hole in the fence to get. I try not to do that too much because I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, um, and I'm not as physically spry as I used to be. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I would just say some of those things where I have to maybe climb a fence or yeah. or, or jump over something to get it. Uh, and so like, uh, what about when you come across a work that's in progress? Are you kind of like, ah, oh, damn, this is, this looks good, but like, I'd rather capture it complete. Or do you like cap Do you like seeing things being made in the moment? I'll take yeah, I'll take a picture of works in progress. Uh, I'll be careful not to be too intrusive about it. Like if I take a picture of a. A painter, I'll usually take a picture of them from the back uh -huh. and not take a... Because I'm very sensitive about taking pictures of people without their consent. Yeah, so like is the process there? Are they like... Do you, would you then approach them and ask for their permission? Or would you just take it and like... I just take the picture, but I make it clear that I'm trying not trying to capture their face. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I'll try to get them maybe when their back's to it or maybe when they're doing something else or maybe if someone wants to be like a bouncy and you know yeah like be uh, incognito you know yeah <laughs> uh, but I think most of them if they're especially if they're doing unsanctioned art they would make an effort to cover their face yeah so. and so it's like yeah I just kind of wonder if it's like they do they want the notoriety like do they want they want to be mysterious but they want to be mysteriously famous or their work to be famous yeah. I'm assuming like all most artists want their work to get out there um, it's very easy to do that nowadays with, with Instagram and with, with Twitter and things like that. Everything's, everything's become democratized. Yeah. So. But yeah, so I, I saw that on the site you said you've been in Barcelona for about 13 years. And like yep. how, do, how old is the website then? And like how did it come about? The website, I think, started in 2012. Okay. Yeah, 2012, the summer. Uh, so it's been going for a while. Yeah, I mean... I think I had just got my first smartphone, yeah. so I started taking pictures. I think if you look at the earlier stuff, you could see that it, the photos, <clears throat> the photos were a little blurry because it's a. I think it was like an HTC Wild. Yeah, you're just starting. You're just diving into it, you know. <laughs> and I'm not a photographer by by you know, 
yeah. by vocation. So, so the photos, composition-wise, probably aren't that great. <laughs> but uh, no, I just wanted to capture these these different things. Why did you choose a uh, kind of like a blog format for for documenting as your primary like uh, way to act or like your central area versus like something like Instagram or something? In retrospect, probably. I mean, it was pre sort of Instagram. Oh, okay. Bit. Yeah, pre me having Instagram anyway. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, it probably would have been best just to start an Instagram account because I find now with WordPress, twice I've had to buy extra storage because uh, yeah, I'm above the however many gigabytes they give you. Okay. And uh, I do write stuff, so I think maybe the blog format. Yeah, because I've noticed that, like, uh, I, you know, I haven't read your entire blog, but I've yeah. read like a good uh, chunk of it now that like, yeah, you, you do some good writing that accompanies like the photo album. So I was wondering maybe that's the reason why you chose that format versus Instagram where it's harder to yeah, show writing. Because if you dig back, if you dig back to the first couple posts, maybe the first 20 or 30 posts, there's no, there's no writing at all. And then little by little, yeah, I decided to just do a little commentary and take advantage of the blog format. But you plan on uh, keep going on on this project for the indefinite future? Yeah, I mean, twice I, I I've set a goal of twice a month. How did you end up in Barcelona? Uh, well, I was working in uh, New York. I I had been working as a, a bartender, sort of bar manager, mm -hmm. this kind of work, which is good money. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit mindless, and uh, and you end up pissing a lot of the money away. So. Uh, so I wanted to get into something that would maybe be able to use my, my brain a little more. And, and uh, I found, I looked at ads for teaching English abroad, like a lot of Americans do, I think. And uh, I found like a, a teaching certificate course that looked pretty good. And they had uh, locations in Prague and locations in Barcelona. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons I also wanted to leave New York is uh, I had one too many New York winters. <laughs> so how is it teaching uh, English abroad here? It's not brilliantly paid. Yeah, I mean, uh, no teaching it seems to be these days. <laughs> and uh, but I think it's actually I think it's I think the conditions are actually a little better here than for teachers maybe a public school teacher in the United States. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, you're teaching a lot of adults. You're teaching a lot of business classes. Uh, I've also I also now for the last couple of years I've started doing. Uh, uh, in Europe, they have sort of Cambridge exams that give you sort of an official level certificate, so yeah. I do those. Um, taking on more hours, I teach in a, in a business school here. It's a Swiss mm -hmm. school, but it's a sort of business Swiss? university. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, I think their headquarters in Geneva, but they have a, their main, their big campuses here. So I teach a course called English for Business, but it's not English in the sense of English as a second language, because most of the students already have English. It's just... Uh, giving them some vocabulary, some communication skills, um, getting them used to a university model that's more participatory. Okay. Because a lot of them, most of my students in that school, actually none of them are from here. Students from Kyrgyzstan, Israel, Kazakhstan, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, yeah. uh, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, and uh, a lot of them aren't used to participating in class. I, I try to teach them to question the teacher, too. I do a whole lesson on the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator test, mm -hmm. which is that four-letter personality type, M-B-I-N-S-P. 
So we, we, we spend the first half of the class, I give them the test, we talk about, you know, all the careers that you could do with it. And then I spend the second half of the class basically debunking it and saying how it's all BS. <laughs> and they say, well, which one is correct? I said, well, that's up to you. You know, so. Mind's blown. <laughs> yeah. No, I, well, I, and I showed them, um, I don't know, do you know this, there's this, there's this really great, uh, there's this uh, program in the States on, uh, I think it's on True TV. Uh, Adam ruins everything. Have you oh, watched yeah, that? Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. It's I've showed great. that to my students too, so I'll explain to them about whatever he's ruining. I'll teach them all the conventional stuff about it, and then I'll show him <laughs> them this, just to get them sort of into critical thinking a little bit, into questioning yeah. what they read and what they see, because they're not used. Many of them, if you, I mean, if you look at a country like Azerbaijan, it's not exactly up there on the freedom index. No. <laughs> so, so they're not exactly used to. Uh, I hope I don't get any of them in trouble when they go back to their home countries. But uh, okay, so let's get into the Brian questions then. Yeah. Um, do you know why your parents uh, named you Brian? I think because I, if I remember what my mother told me correctly, that my father's name is Ralph, and his father's name was Ralph, and so they decided to discontinue the Ralph thing, which I'm actually quite happy for, because... <laughs> I, I, they're just like, no, they, they saw you and they're like, not a Ralph. Not a Ralph. <laughs> no. Definitely not a Ralph. <laughs> not a Ralph. I'm, I'm happy for that. That's, uh, Ralph is a perfectly respectable name. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad I don't have it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you talked about uh, your middle name was... It was Japanese, did you say? Yep, that was my father's original birth name. Okay. Because he was, uh, my grandmother had him yeah. before she met my grandfather. Yeah. So my grandfather, who I knew as my grandfather, was adopt, adopted my father. And okay. that's where my last name comes from. Okay, so, okay. So I do have that sort of, because Reedy is an Irish name. I do yeah. have that Irish ancestry, but through adoption, not through blood. Oh, cool. Yeah, you might be one of the first that I've interviewed so, that has an adoption ancestry. So, cause my, but on Very the other cool. side of my family, my mother... Uh, her father is of German extraction, so okay. through blood I have German extract. I have German. Uh, <laughs> I have German blood in me, which is. Do you, know, do you know why they spelt it with an I versus a Y? That I don't know, but I know I always had problems with that when I was younger, because <laughs> most people went by the, to the with the Y by default. Really? When I was in school, I think. Yeah. That's weird. Cause I find most people go with the I by default, at least in the United States. Yeah. I feel like in in uh, Spain. It seems to be there's more Brian, or maybe in Europe in general, I feel like. Not in the UK, but like uh, over here in like France that have been around and in, in Spain, it seems like there's more Y Brian's. You can find some Brian's here, but it's, uh, I think a lot of them usually are uh, of Latino extraction. And, okay. they, and they tend to spell the name a little strangely. Like I've seen one that was like B R I feel like some A I A N. Yeah, I feel like I've seen some Latino ones that are more like B R A Y A N. No, and that's yeah. the way you would pronounce it in the language. So it's yeah, I, I just had no idea about that before I looked into it more. Um, so where do you do? You have any siblings, and where does their and what are their names? If you do, uh, my brother. Yeah, I have one brother. His name is Mark. Okay, so it's Mark, Mark with Brian. a C. Oh. Which he always had problems with, because most people spell Mark with a K. Yeah. And what have you named? Do you have any like pets, or a car, or uh, kids, or anything that you've named? What are your naming capabilities like? Uh, my naming <laughs> capabilities? Jesus. Um, <laughs> I've got a dog, but the dog's name is Miso. Miso. Ah, okay. 
So, uh, I don't think I, if I had a kid, I don't know if I'd name him Brian. Also, I'd probably name him. Not a fan of the juniors. <laughs> no, I'd probably try to do something original. Probably because you were not. You, you ended the Ralphs. <laughs> yeah, I think. I well, mean, you, you, you need to mo- or you're starting the reign of Brian's. <laughs> the what? The reign of Brian's. Ah, yes. Yes. I, I thought you said brain, and that was that's one of the spelling errors that used to drive me crazy. Oh no! So that's another question: is, Do you have any memorable instances of that happening to you? Of brain, yeah. Yeah, getting the brain misspelling. Any memorable, particularly uh, traumatizing incidences? <laughs> I think my name was in the newspaper years and years ago when I was in elementary school and someone spelled it that way. Oh, that's pretty brutal. And then, of course, you had to endure being called brain for the next six months until everybody forgot about it. Yeah. But, so two-part question, dead uh-huh. or alive. Uh, one other Brian to meet, who would it be? And favorite Brian of all time. Wow. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. The um, the news anchor would be kind of cool to meet. Williams. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot about him. Okay, so favorite. Probably back in the day, I would say Brian Adams. Okay, cool. Back in cool. the uh, back in those days, it's a and because I, I remember even years ago, about what is it, about ten, twelve years ago, I thought, oh, Brian Adams is making a comeback, and it was actually Ryan Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a Ryan Adams. <laughs> Who I've heard gets trolled at his concerts. I've heard when people, I heard people troll him at his concerts and ask him to play Summer of '69. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that. Too. <laughs> I mean, you got people just want to bring back the B, you know. But uh, yeah, I would say Brian Williams. Is, is he still the anchor now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not the one who had the. Uh, he had the yeah, he had some trouble with the, the truth. Was he the one? Yeah, they said I was there and he wasn't. Yep. Oh, okay. yep. So. <laughs> I would probably want to ask him Yeah, about so uh, that. it's a good person to meet to just be like, you're giving us Brian's bad name with that. What, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, actually, no. I mean, he's, he's, he sort of inaugurated the whole post-truth generation, oh, didn't God. he? Oh, God. Maybe we can all trace it back to that. All right, so here's a Brian trivia question. Uh-huh. As someone who's lived in New York, um, thought maybe you might know this, uh, which Brian hosts a popular WNYC radio show called Bri- The Brian Blank Show? Ooh. So it's his last name. W-N- All right, uh, Brian Lehrer. Oh, okay. Is he a morning guy, or is he a... Actually, I don't know, because I listened to him through a podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, he's actually a, pod- it's a podcast oh, as well. Wow. Okay, yeah, so, definitely. harder awesome. question. Uh-huh. If you had to choose a first name other than Brian, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, I never really thought about that before. I would probably say... Uh, I guess in my generation, I probably would have gone with something like uh, Seth or Justin or... Now, I, <laughs> Justin has negative connotations nowadays, I know. But uh, I think when I was younger, it was actually kind of a cool name, or Sean. <laughs> Sean is probably... Well, Sean's like a, an Irish name like Brian, so... Yeah. But if you, if you had to look back at all the Brians you've met in your life, do you think there are common uh, personality traits or characteristics that send from all of them? I would say... Or that, uh, you know, there's a common thread... I would say we do all have sort of a, I don't know, I feel like we all have a, a, a tendency to, whether we want to or not, sort of be looked at maybe as sort of standing out from the crowd, being a little bit leaderish. Uh, would you say overall being a Brian has been a plus or a minus in your life? 
I've always been one of the only ones, so that, that helps, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I think sometimes it made you the center of attention when I didn't want to be, but uh, no, I'm, 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 I don't have no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> so. Let's just end with uh, any message you'd like to say to all the Brian's out there. Uh, come to Barcelona. We should have a, <laughs> uh, a big Brian meetup. Yeah. Or out at the, the free walls uh, square where we'll meet, we'll meet yeah. there. <laughs> we, could do, we could do a block party. We'll just take over the, all the walls and just do Brian, pro Brian uh, street art. Yeah, if there's any Brian street <laughs> artist or artist out there, we could do like a Brian mural. Yeah, exactly. Make a block party out I like of this it. idea. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so uh, that was Brian Reedy of Barcelona Street Scraps. Um, you can just Google to find the URL. Um, and, uh, also on Instagram at, at TBRI001. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>